Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading today is taken from 1 Colossians, reading from verse 9 to 14, and this can be found in the Church Bibles on page 1182. 1182. Reading from Colossians 1, verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. So it's helpful to keep the uh, reading open in front of you as we go to this. I haven't had the opportunity actually to say thank you to many people, behalf of Christine and myself, for the kindness and uh, welcome you've uh, shown us over the past months. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we come to your uh, word, that you would open our eyes to the great things that you have done in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we would respond in faithfully following our Lord and Saviour, in whose name we now pray. Amen. I mentioned just now that I grew up in Sheffield. When I was growing up in Sheffield in the 1960s, I used to travel to school uh, by bus. Uh, in those days, there used to be uh, an open entrance at the back of the bus where the conductor stood. And the conductor gave the signal to the driver to move off, and he would cry out, Hold tight, please, just to warn the passengers, especially those who are standing. Now, in many ways, the message of the book of Colossians uh, that we've started looking at now is like that. The message is, hold tight to Christ. And in particular, in order to grow and develop as a Christian, we need to hold tight to Christ. Sometimes in our desire to grow as Christians we look in the wrong place for that growth. We want to try out shortcuts or worldly means in order to grow. We'll try out distorted versions of the Christian faith in misguided attempts to live as Christians. That's the temptation that faces every Christian, certainly faced the Christians in the city of Colossae long ago. Well, in response, we find this early Christian leader called Paul who wrote this letter insisting that we grow as Christians through holding on tightly to Jesus Christ. You may recall from last week that Paul had not met most of these Colossian Christians, but he was aware of clear evidence they were real, authentic Christians. 
And this evidence had come through the individual, through an individual called Epaphras, who's mentioned in chapter 1, verse 7. And Epaphras was actually from this place, Colossae, as well, himself. And you may recall in those first eight verses that Paul was mainly reassuring the Colossian believers that they were indeed real Christians. They should not have any fear of missing out. They weren't second-class Christians. Indeed, they shouldn't imagine that because they hadn't had some particular spiritual experience or because they didn't observe certain religious practices, they were not in fact real Christians at all. Paul thanks God then that they are real, authentic Christians. And in the passage that we're looking at today, uh, chapter 1, verses 9 to 14, he moves on to consider the matter of growing as a Christian in more detail. And these verses underline the fact that we grow as Christians through holding tightly to Christ and the gospel. This is how we're called to live the Christian life. And the background to Paul's insistence on this, because it sounds simple in some ways, isn't it? But the background is that the Colossians are in some danger of looking elsewhere in their desire to grow and live as Christians. According to one, chapter 1, verse 23, there's a danger they will become unstable and moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says he wants to make sure that no one deceives them through fine-sounding arguments. Chapter 2, verse 19, there's even the danger, apparently, that they will follow the practices of those who themselves have lost connection with the head, who is Christ. In other words, they may lose their tight grip on Christ and the gospel. Now, I would stress at this point that, of course, believers should always have this desire to grow as Christians. But when we're young, I think we can underestimate just how much we need to grow and all that lies may lie ahead for us. I'm sure I certainly didn't realize just how much I had to grow when I was in my 20s and a new Christian. When we're old, however, the temptation is more to sit back and coast as far as being a Christian is concerned. And again, I can testify to the feeling the force of that sort of temptation. And in my previous experience as a pastor, which I, I mentioned earlier, I recall dealing with many Christians who could be seen as sort of stuck. Often they carried great burdens in life. Difficult experiences had shaped them. And they were never quite able to address these issues with the gospel and move on in Christ. They'd cease to grow. Sometimes we're tempted to turn to worldly resources to make life as a Christian easier. Every generation, of course, has its own issues where the opposition of the world is fierce, we're tempted to opt for a quiet life. All that might reflect the fact that we don't have confidence that the resources we have in Jesus Christ are sufficient for all that we may ever face. If we don't believe that Christ is enough, then our grip on him may be loosened. That's why Paul writes and prays as he does here in verses 9 to 14. He wants the Colossians to be very clear that they, and we as well, will only grow as Christians through holding tightly to Christ. Christ is the one who has the resources we need to live and grow as Christians. Now, the two main sections in this short passage, in verses 9 to 11, we note the focus of Paul's prayer to God 
for growth among the Colossians, the focus of Paul's prayer. Verses 12 to 14, we begin to see how a focus on thankfulness to God, thankfulness for his work, is a mark of growth. So let's start then by turning our attention to verses 9 to 11. There we see the focus of Paul's prayer to God for growth. I think we're going to be a bit surprised by what Paul focuses on here. Note, of course, I should say and stress, that it's because Paul knows the Colossians are authentic Christians that he prays in the way he does in these verses. That's why we have for this reason at the start of verse 9. If he had doubts about their Christian faith, he would be praying something else. Probably they would, that it, they would understand who Jesus Christ is, what he has done, and that they might respond personally in a way which produces the faith, love, and hope he mentioned in the opening verses. Anyway, the first focus, though, of Paul's prayer for growth is what verse 9 says. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now, we need to grasp what Paul is talking about here when he uses those words will and knowledge so that we're not deceived and seek growth in the wrong places. Sometimes those words are misunderstood. See, the will referred to here is God's will, and this will is the big picture of God's plan for our world. That does include, in some sense, his will for our own personal lives. But if we start off with that, we set off on the wrong foot. Many get confused as they try to find out God's personal plan and will for their lives. It's not a great way of looking at things. We need to get the big picture of God's will, first of all. And there are many places in this letter where we're reminded of this big picture of God's will. We saw a reference to Paul's particular role as an apostle, chapter 1, verse 1, where he speaks of himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. In verse 12 of our passage today, we'll see how God's plan, ultimate plan, has been to include the nations, Gentiles like most of us, the nations amongst his people to share in the promised inheritance. There's the same theme towards the end of chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. We note there, for example, that Paul, that God gave Paul the commission to present the word of God in its fullness. And Paul says the word's fullness has now been disclosed to the Lord's people. And in particular, Paul speaks of making known amongst the Gentiles, the nations, the riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Being filled with the knowledge of his will is to do with grasping the depth, the wonder of God's purposes in Jesus Christ. It's the big picture of God's plan that gives us a proper perspective on the challenges we come across in our lives. You see, in our suffering and our sadness, God's will and plan reminds us of the ultimate hope of glory. When troubled by opposition to our and hostility to our Christian faith, and the supreme authority of Christ reassures us about how things will turn out in the end. No wonder then at the end of the letter, chapter 4, verse 12, we find this chap Epaphras wrestling in prayer for his fellow Christian believers that they may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. 
So you see, Paul in chapter 1, verse 9, is telling us that our growth as Christians takes place when we know God's will deeply. That's why Paul continually prays for that. But what about this knowledge that Paul speaks of here? Now, to our ears, this sounds like information to fill our brains. Well, let me assure you that that's not at all what Paul has in mind. I can say that because in verse 9, Paul speaks of this knowledge coming through all the wisdom and the understanding that the Spirit gives. This is a spiritual knowledge. It's a grasp of the fullness of God's purposes, which is revealed to us by the Spirit, as the Spirit-inspired Word of God shapes and molds our lives. You know, Jesus himself spoke of the way that the religious leaders in his day sat in Moses' seat but were blind guides. In other words, they had a lot of knowledge about Scripture, but didn't understand what they read. Knowledge about what the Bible says is not the same as having the wisdom and understanding that the Holy Spirit reveals to us personally in our own hearts and lives. No wonder you see then chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, Paul stresses that it is in Christ whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this really does work. It can sound a bit abstract like this, doesn't it? But it, it really does work when we are confused and disturbed as Christians. When faced with death, for example, we can go back to the basics of God's plans. We can reflect on whether Jesus really died, why he died. I've had to do that in the past. First focus, then, of Paul's prayer for growth for Christians is that our eyes might be opened to have a fuller grasp of God's will and purposes in Christ. Second focus, verse 10. And this shows that the purpose of this knowledge of God's will cannot be just filling our heads with mere information. Because in verse 10, Paul declares that the purpose of knowing God's will is so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Here is what Paul prayed for the Colossian Christians, what we should be praying for one another. We should be praying that our lives reflect this name of Christian that we have and that we do this by focus on living to please the Lord. This focus is a focus for growth because there are always you know, new areas where we have to work out how we're going to live worthily and how we're going to please the Lord. That's why Paul speaks of pleasing the Lord in every way. See, when we're young, for example, we face the challenge of pleasing the Lord by honoring our parents. When we get married, possibly have children, we grow as Christians in working out how to please the Lord in those new circumstances. And as we face loss and old age, we again have to grow by responding in a godly way that reflects our hope of eternal glory. And Paul, in fact, here in verses 10 and 11, spells out in some further detail how this knowledge of the will of God works out in practice. Verse 10, he speaks of bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. That's why we can show that Paul, yes, he is focusing on Christian growth here. But we need to see how the fruit of every good work relates to the knowledge to our knowledge of God, to the knowledge of God. Our spirit-given knowledge and understanding of God's will, you see, needs to be lived out. That's what brings growth and maturity. 
So Paul in 1 verse 28 says he, he proclaims Christ, which in one sense is what we do here each week. Proclaims Christ, teaching and admonishing everyone to present everyone mature in Christ. Knowledge of God's will and the word of God has to be put into practice in the lives we lead, the works we do. That's why sticking at reading the Bible, attending church, small group and so on is important. So long as we remain open to the Bible's correction and training, we will find our lives and our attitudes molded and shaped by God's will. Then in verse 11, Paul also speaks about the life that pleases the Lord in every way like this, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Our growth in a life that pleases the Lord comes about when we are strengthened by the glorious might of God himself in us. And this power at work within our Christian lives is seen by our having great endurance and patience. We cannot live like this unless God's power is at work within us. Perhaps that's a surprise to us, really, when we think about it. See, God's power at work in our lives is not focused on dramatic deeds done in the Lord's name. It's all too easy to have worldly views of what God's power should look like in our church and in our own lives. Paul, however, focuses on, in this prayer on God's power at work in us, growing us, growing you and me as Christians by enabling us to have great endurance and patience. What might this great endurance and patience look like? Well, I found it rather helpful when I read one writer who speaks of this as enduring impossible circumstances and being patient with impossible people. Yeah, it's true though. See, the power of God to endure and be patient comes from the Spirit reminding us of the, God's, of the big picture of God's will and activity, what's going on in our world. We are able to endure impossible circumstances because we are convinced that God is able to bring about the fulfillment of his promises and the hope of glory and lead us to our blessed inheritance. That's what enables us to endure. And we're able to be patient with impossible people because that we're convinced that God is active in our world today and he can change the hearts of those we deal with. Paul's prayer then in verses 9 to 11 gives us all manner of understanding what true Christian growth will look like through the detail of what he focuses on. When we're tempted to see growth as Christians in other ways, in other religious practices, a vital reminder then of what we should be focused on for ourselves and for others. Well, we'll move on now to verses 12 to 14, which is briefer, I assure you. Here's a focus on thankfulness for God's work. That's seen as a mark of growth as a Christian, a focus on thankfulness. In living and growing as a Christian, it's inevitable that we are filled, Paul is saying, with wonder and gratitude for what God has done. In the opening verses of chapter 1, Paul gave thanks for the way the Colossians had responded to the gospel, to the Christian message as they heard it from Epaphras. An amazing work had been done amongst them. Now Paul returns, verse 12, to this theme of giving thanks, and he invites the Colossians to join him in that sense of thankfulness. 
He does this because it is the power of God that enables us to live and grow as Christians in the manner that Paul has been praying about. That power of God is the power that did the amazing work that Paul will remind us of here in verses 12 to 14. See, growth as Christians involves a growing sense of wonder and thankfulness for the work of God in Christ and what it means for us, for you and me personally. The mighty power which rescues us, which is what that video was all about, that mighty power is the power which equips us to live as Christians. And this theme of thankfulness for God's power and work comes up a good deal in this letter. I want to particularly just draw our attention to chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. In many ways, the key verses of this letter. But they express how holding on to Christ is indeed at the heart of being a Christian. Paul says, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Such increasing thankfulness for God's work and the gospel is a mark of growth. So let's focus briefly on what Paul does say we should be thankful for in verses 12 to 14, pretty briefly. Well, one aspect of this thankfulness is the way that we have been qualified to share in the inheritance of God's people in the kingdom of light. You remember how the old, uh, in the Old Testament, the inheritance that was held out for God's people was the promised land. That was where Israel was headed and what had been promised. But now the fulfillment of that promise is not to be seen in a territory on this earth. It is now the kingdom of light, the place where darkness is banished and blessing overflows. Yeah, the particular stress of Paul here seems to be that Gentiles, who were once strangers to the original promises made to Israel, they we can now be qualified for the kingdom of light. People like the Colossians, who are probably mostly not Jewish, can be part of the people of God. People like most of us, who are not Jewish, can receive the promised inheritance. Why is this? Well, it's nothing in ourselves that qualifies us. It's entirely a work of God's grace and mercy. And if you have not yet appreciated what the Christian message is all about, know this. Whoever you are, and whatever your background, you can find a place in this everlasting kingdom of light. It is open to you. And if we already do know this, then we should stop and reflect with thankfulness that we, you and I, can be part of this kingdom of light. A wonderful outcome, a wonderful future that we've done nothing to deserve. And secondly, in these verses, we're told that God the Father has rescued us. Again, remember the video. If you are an authentic Christian, then this is the amazing work that has been done in you and for you. Just as the Israelites were rescued by God through the exodus from the darkness and the misery of slavery in Egypt, so Christians today are those who've been rescued by a mighty act of God. Paul spells out the details of this mighty rescue for which our hearts should be filled with thankfulness, verses 13 to 14. He says we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves. I think I've found as I've gone in life, the vast majority of people, us, 
live with bitter experiences which dominate and shape our lives. These bitter experiences may be from a very young age or may have occurred much later in life. Nevertheless, whenever we have such experiences, they bring home to us the reality of the dominion of darkness. And it's when I see those burdened by such darkness that I'm so deeply thankful for what God has done for me. I have a hope that will not be dashed and demolished by life's experiences. For that I'm deeply thankful. And I'll grow ever more thankful as the years go by, as the Lord in his power sustains me in that hope. At the root of the world's darkness is our helplessness in the face of sin and evil, including our own, most of all. We need to have its power broken. That is what God's great work in Christ does for us. In him we have redemption. And no matter the responsibility we may have for past errors and wrongs, we can be forgiven in the sight of God by this mighty work. We may have to live with the consequences of our past actions, but to know that we can properly be guilt-free before God, before Almighty God, is a wonderful thing. That's why Paul also speaks here of the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you have never appreciated that this is what the Christian message is all about, surely it's time. You've got to grips with this amazing work. A hope that will not fail to deliver. A rescue from darkness is something that is very wonderful, something for which we can be truly thankful. And if you're puzzled as to how Anyone, perhaps yourself, can be rescued from darkness, experience this redemption and forgiveness, then, of course, you must come along next week to hear Paul's focus on Jesus Christ. It's the work of God in Jesus Christ which lies at the heart of this amazing rescue and gives us this sure and lasting hope. Perhaps, though, we are authentic Christians. We know this already. Paul's message here for us is that a mark of growth as a Christian means being increasingly thankful for what we've been given in Christ. As we see the attempts by others to resolve the world's problems fail, fail abysmally, we will want to hold on to Christ ever more tightly. And as we come face to face more and more with the disturbing reality of what we, you and I, are really like, we will want to be increasingly thankful for the power of God which has brought about our rescue in Christ. Perhaps then we will want to hold on to him more and more tightly. And perhaps we will see then how knowing the will of God and God's purposes in Christ is so very important. Knowing the word of God in its fullness gives us Christ in his fullness and that equips us to live a life worthy of him which pleases him in every way. Perhaps we will then hold tightly to Christ as the one who alone provides the resource for living and growing as a Christian. I'll close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your mighty power at work in the gospel and the mighty power which we hope and pray has touched each one of us. Lord, give us thankful hearts thankful hearts that go on being more and more thankful each day and as we understand your purposes and plans in the Lord Jesus Christ may we bring great glory to him as our saviour.
Amen.